This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of April 11th, 2022. And how are you doing, Emily, on this very not eventful weekend for you? I am doing fine and um, pretending that nothing is coming. No, uh, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm through most of the most of the big stuff of this week, except that, you know, uh, we're recording Friday night. So I've still got one more big event to celebrate. But it will be the first time that my congregation has been in person for Easter since 2019. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty big. Um, yeah, because we were still fully remote. We were obviously full re- fully remote in spring of 2020. Um, and then we were still fully remote, but sort of making plans to be in person in spring of 2021. So, um, so yeah, first time in three years. I think it'll be great. Um, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. We just finished the uh, SATs and my students totally loved it and Gosh, do I love proctoring tests and just love uh, testing in general and how great it is and useful it is and mm-hmm. everything. I am a weirdo who enjoyed the SATs. <laughs> I had one student, actually, who I asked how he went. He was like, oh, it was pretty fun. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I like learned some things from the readings and I think I did pretty well. Thought mm-hmm. it was fun. I was like, man, what a nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> yeah. Um, RIP the analogy section. Um, yeah. Also, I I feel like this might have been a, f- a fever dream because I didn't really care about the SAT, but wasn't there an essay portion? Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, there was not when I took the SATs, um, and when I took them, there was a writing section and a, sorry, there was a verbal section and a math section, mm-hmm. but then everyone was also expected to take the writing SAT too, which did have an essay. Oh, okay. So yeah. like a separate test. Yeah, it was that a separate have... test that you had to take on a separate day, but then I think they integrated them? I think so, because I remember, I think I only did it in one day, but I remember having to write an extended piece. Mm-hmm. And they don't do that anymore. Yeah. It's all multiple choice and fill in. Hmm. That's, I find, uh, I'm sure colleges find that to be the best way <laughs> to <laughs> identify oh, please. promising candidates. Yes. Because that's what the SAT is really for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, I don't want to get don't want to get too political about it. Yeah. Um, but that's where I am. Testing is done. We're in the home stretch. Yay for it being done. Now I have the uh, at least one performance every week until the end of the school year going on, which is nice. That'll be fun. Lots of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I think it's Jeopardy time. Indeed. Uh, So, on Monday, April 11th, uh, Ken Jennings is back at the podium. 
And we have the contestants Michael Volman, a marketing manager from Austin, Texas. Vanessa McCombs, a college instructor from Manassas, Virginia. And Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose four-day cash winnings is $104,600. We have the Jeopardy round categories, a European capital tour, Purple Rain, R-E-I-G-N, It's a Fact, In Mom's Free Time, (laughs) (laughs) that's a good joke, Two-Word Animal Expressions, and Symphonies with the E- well, I mean, it ends with an E in quotation marks instead of a Y. And each one will begin with the letter E. Or each correct response, at least. Yes. That mom's free time category. Like, no pressure. Right. <laughs> some, but some moms in their free time founded the Cheesecake Factory or invented the boppy. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's like, Wow. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> but no, you're doing fine. Mm-hmm. Uh. Nobody knew the thousand dollar level of that in mom's free time category in 2016. Wisconsin mom Kristen Garvey made the first yard sign with these five words preceding various affirmations. Uh, that is, in this house we believe. Mm-hmm. Um, which many a good we- joke has been made of that. Yeah. I'm trying to remember them. And then I Googled in this house, we believe parody. And that was a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. um, I like the symphonies category. Lots of good, good suggestions for, for pieces that if you haven't listened to you, you should. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the echo symphony Haydn's, Symphony number 38 in the $200 clue. It's fine. Haydn symphonies, he wrote over a hundred of them. So a lot of them tend to sound similar. So if you've heard one, you've probably heard most of them. Uh, Mm. But if you've never listened to a Haydn symphony, they're a lot shorter than, say, uh, a Beethoven symphony, which is Mm. mentioned in the $1,000 clue about Beethoven's third, which was originally dedicated to napoleon because <clears throat> before napoleon crowned himself emperor he was considered a you know an enlightened hero of the people he was not of nobility he came from from modest beginnings and gained power and then he showed his true colors and beethoven scratched out the dedication with such fury that he tore a hole in the page and then hmm. rededicated it to an heroic figure or eroica and if you've never listened to the Third Symphony, it's very good. Also, Enigma yeah. Variations. Pretty sure I've asked mm-hmm. about Enigma Variations on the podcast. You have, and so this time I remembered. <laughs> Although I think I probably would have um, been able to fill in Sir Edward Blank mm-hmm. without seeing Enigma Variations. Um, Elgar mm-hmm. is the answer there. Yes. Yeah. Daily Double number one comes up as the fifth pick at the $1,000 level of a European capital tour, uh, and Michael finds it. He has 400 um, to Matea's 1,000 and Vanessa's 200. He can wager up to 1,000, but he makes it a true daily double, just the 400, mm-hmm. and gets the clue, something to sink your teeth into. A signed document by Vlad the Impaler in 1459 is the first written appearance of this capital. And he gets it correct with 
Bucharest, the capital of Romania. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Matea's at 7,000, Michael's made it up to 5,200, Vanessa's at 600, and we have the double Jeopardy categories, U.S. Geographic History, The Origin Trail, Chemical Elements, Metaphors, Literature, and Double Presidential Namers. Uh, Each correct response will be a celebrity who has the first name of one president and the last name of another. That was a difficult category. Yeah. If you just know your presidents by number cold, like really, Mm -hmm. like just, just by number, just, you know, I give you a number, you give me a president, then you're fine. Right. (laughs) And if not, then you're really going to have a hard time here. Right. Um, I know them by number sort of in that I know their order. And the numbers for, like, a bunch of kind of landmark ones. But I can't just spit out, like, who is president number 35. Um, well, that's, well Kennedy. that's Kennedy. I should I should know that's Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was able to... I was able to get the presidents, but for some reason, putting the first name of one to the second... Second name. To the last... See, it's already given me trouble. Mm-hmm. To the last name of the other. That step was so hard for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, but it was. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I liked seeing Matea get... It seemed like she when she got Bill Monroe from 42 and 5, this pioneer of bluegrass music, it seemed Mm -hmm. like she had not heard of the musician and was just coming up with the names and putting them together and hoping it worked. And it was, it was fun to see that work for her. Yeah. Yeah. But that was a, that was a tough category. Hmm. Uh, Daily double number two is pick number seven. It's in the literature category at the $800 level. Vanessa finds it. Uh, she is at 3,400, Matea is at 9,000, and Michael is at 3,600. She wagers 2,000, gets a clue. With works like Red Gauntlet and Kenilworth, this UK author created the historical novel in the 19th century. Uh, and she guessed who is Dickens, but it is Sir Walter Scott. Mm-hmm. It seems like they picked some... Well, I guess they had to pick his historical novels, but... I did not recognize those titles. I did not either. Yeah. Daily Double number three is in the chemical elements category at the $2,000 level. And Michael finds this one at the 24th pick. He's at 6,800 at this point. Matea's at 10,200. Vanessa's at 2,600. And he wagers 5,000 to try and take the lead and gets the clue atomic number 100. This radioactive element is named for the scientist who directed the first controlled fission chain reaction. And he knows this one. It is fermium. Mm-hmm. Named for Enrico Fermi. Yes. And then the next, there's only one more clue after that, and Michael gets it too. So he is in the lead going into Final Jeopardy. Michael has 12,600, Matea is at 10,200, and Vanessa is at 2,600. And we get the Final Jeopardy category, Words of the Year. And the clue, Oxford's Word of the Year for 2021 was this three-letter one, short for a word that goes back to the Latin for cow. One of my favorite recent, like recently, uh relevant facts 
Mm-hmm. Trivia facts. Uh, Vanessa wrote, what is BOV? B-O-V. Uh, and that is incorrect. She wagered everything, so she drops to zero. Matea got it correct with, what is Vax? If I lose, I had fun. Thanks, all. Which is a lot more than three letters, I will just say. Mm-hmm. But I think they they accepted what is Vax. Uh, and so she moves up by 2400 to be tied with Michael, which was an interesting choice. Yeah, what's that about? I mean, the... The odds of him betting zero in this position are extremely small, so I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but he also went for what is Bove, and he wagered 8,000. So Mateo wins her fifth game with a little bit mm-hmm. of a scare, but she makes it. Yes. So on Tuesday, April 12th, we have the contestants Zer Lu, a software engineer from Boston, Massachusetts, Leah Q Pence. You don't see a whole lot of middle initials. Um, But if it's Q, you got to include it. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what the Q is for. Um, She's a social studies teacher from Woodstock, Georgia. And Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose five-day cash winnings totaled $117,200. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, rock art, medicine, game changers, fashion, Amazon Prime and everything from mod to mud. All the correct responses will come between those two entries in the dictionary. I enjoyed the $400 clue of mod to mud. BuzzFeed examined why this synonym for damp is the worst word ever. Mm. That's yep. moist. moist. <laughs> I don't mind that word. What's the opposite of ASMR? <laughs> the heebie-jeebies <laughs> I think that might be it yeah the triple stumper in Game Changers at the thousand dollar level in 2019 season 10 of this online survival game ended with a giant asteroid blowing up its virtual island leaving a black hole none of these uh, none of these people apparently work with middle schoolers because they didn't know it was Fortnite Fortnite, I, Fortnite, Fortnite I mean Fortnite. I knew that Fortnite was a thing. Right. I thought that I had some information about Fortnite. Like, there is flossing. <laughs> and That is the most important part. The most integral yes. part of the game. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I did not know that it had seasons or this thing about the asteroid. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, in order, in order for it to not become stale, they, they, like, refresh. And this is common for a number of, like, purely multiplayer games is... You get a new map, or uh, they change the parameters of the game. Like, the the general gameplay is still the same, but they remove certain things and put in new things. Or, like, they kind of change what the objectives are, or whatever. It's so that, you know, because if it's literally the same thing, even after mm-hmm. two months, if yeah. you spend an hour a day playing it, you're going to get bored. Um, so, they have seasons where they, they refresh things and change it up. Gotcha. Uh, pretty okay. common. But... My thought, my thought with that was, it's interesting that they call it a survival game because, I mean, it is in that you're trying not to get killed, but maybe they didn't want to call it like a, a first person shooter, or, mm. or I guess it's a third person shooter, or like a, I mean, normally those are called like battle royale games, but yeah, I don't know. it was in that was an interesting choice of the term survival. Yeah, that's interesting. We had a three. 
attempt and th- uh and it was still a triple stumper at the thousand dollar level of medicine um where the clue was thomas hodgkin's paper on morbid appearances of the absorbent glands and spleen described this type of cancer zur tried what is leukemia uh leah tried what is pancreatic cancer matea tried what is liver cancer uh the correct response here was lymphoma you were supposed to see Hodgkin's mm-hmm. and make the connection to Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, I think Zer was closest with leukemia, right? Like trying to, like, I think just went for like the wrong L cancer. Yeah. Uh, and then I think maybe the other two, other two saw like absorbent glands and spleen and tried to think of, you know, sort of what organs might be. Absorbent. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're not terrible guesses, but... Yeah. yeah. Daily Double number one is in the fashion category at the $1,000 level. Uh, this is not not my favorite category. Um, but I liked that's, it. Yeah, it, was, it was fine. It's where Matea went first. So it's at pick number five, and uh, she actually ran the category up to that point. So she has uh, $2,000, and she bets it all. Uh, the others have zero. And she gets the clue. This portmanteau word is used of casual clothes for exercise and for just hanging out. And she got it correct with what is athleisure. Mm-hmm. Athleisure. Does that mean that all of my clothes are athleisure? Because whenever I work out, I just put on, like, my clothes um, that I would also sit around the house in? Sure. <laughs> like, um, I put on comfy clothes. <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I have, I would say mixed feelings, but like largely negative feelings about athleisure because I feel like they're, most of them are uh, clothes that are designed to look like they could conceivably be workout clothes, but it's not practical <laughs> to work out in them. And also they're too expensive to ruin. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, um, that's my general idea on it as well. Yeah. There is a funny parody music video called active wear that people can look up if they want to nice uh yeah that came to mind for me <laughs> all right uh at the end of the jeopardy round mate is at 9600 leah is at negative 200 and sir is at 2600 we have the double jeopardy categories rock art new to miriam webster the actor's movie line i have a plan Halls of Fame, and A Christy Mystery, uh, read by the cast of Hugh Laurie's new series based on the Agatha Christie novel, Why Didn't They Ask Evans? Mm -hmm. That was a video category, and those were long clues. They sure were. You know, I know in my brain that Hugh Laurie is a british man <laughs> but it's weird to hear that after years but of it's house weir- yes, yes i have seen too many episodes of house for it to ever feel normal mm-hmm. hearing him speak with his actual accent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then he also made a jazz album too which you can hear him in he's a he's a he's a guy <laughs> he... he's an interesting man mm. i think he has also written like mystery novels i don't know i hugh Laurie is a curious fellow yeah speaking of asmr uh it came up in the miriam webster 
category at the $1,600 level. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the four-letter abbreviation for the pleasant tingling sensation that starts on the scalp in response to certain stimuli. And uh, Ken, when Matea got it correct, he, he said, that's correct. Yep. That's... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, the the rise of ASMR videos has been an interesting development of these last few years or whatever. Yeah. Curious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had the uh, sort of coin flip in the actor's movie line at the $1,600 level. Uh, the clue was in 2005, I wish I knew how to quit you. And Zora tried, who is Heath Ledger? Uh, but that was not correct, which I don't know if Matea knew before he tried Heath Ledger that the correct response was Jake Gyllenhaal, but he really narrowed it down yeah. for her. <laughs> I, I could not remember. I, I knew we, I knew. What, that it was from Brokeback Mountain, and so it would be one of the two of them, but I couldn't remember which one said it. Yeah. All right. Daily Double number two is in the rock art category at the $2,000 level, and Leah finds it at the 16th pick. She has 5800 to Matea's 16400 and Zer's 1800 She wagers 2000 Would probably be smart to go bigger here. And she gets the clue. A national monument in New Mexico is named for its many these from Greek for rock and carvings. And uh, she gets it correct with petroglyphs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And daily double number three is in I Have a Plan at the 20th pick, $1,600 level. Matea also finds this one. Uh, she is at 20000 Lee is at 7,800, and Zer is at 1,800, and she wagers 3,000, gets the clue. In 1990, the Chatalin plan for moving the USSR to a free market was too radical, even for this reformer. Who else did Chatalin? And uh, she gets it correct with who is Gorbachev. Mm-hmm. Says, I should have wagered more money, and Ken says the lesson of the round. <laughs> Yeah, trying to. I think I think Leah said something uh, similar about the the previous mm-hmm. daily double. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, trying to push contestants to like you should bet more. Why don't, why don't yeah. you bet more in a daily double? You should bet more. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Matea has a lock game with twenty five thousand four hundred. Leah's at seventy eight hundred. Zer is at fifty eight hundred. We have the G- the final Jeopardy category geographic terms, and the clue. The 1964 article that gave this term its current use noted the menace that haunts the Atlantic off our southeastern coast. Zero tried what is international waters. Um, That's not correct. He's wagered 3,900, so that drops him down to 1,900. Leah has what is the Bermuda Triangle, and that is the correct response. She's wagered 5,056. which brings her up to 12,856. I assume there's something personally significant there. Mm-hmm. And Matea has, what is the Bermuda Triangle? So that's cor- correct. Uh, and with a $5,400 wager, uh, that lands her at 30800 for her sixth win. Uh, so on Wednesday, we have the contestants 
Adam Wallach, an airline planning analyst from Chicago, Illinois, Rachel Skitt, a bookseller from Burbank, California, and Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose six-day cash winnings are now $148,000. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, A Reign of Error, Household Initials, A Number Between 2 and 115, Bookham, At the Movies, and Ends in Double Letters. Mm-hmm. The ends in double letters category at the $400 level had a triple stumper. Uh, they showed an, a video and that said, This seven letter track and field moment seen here requires practice and teamwork, and it shows people in a relay handing it off. Matea guessed, What's the baton pass? Which does end in a double letter, but it's mm-hmm. more than seven letters. That's nine is, letters. Yes, yeah. Which is why that is incorrect. It's mm-hmm. the handoff. I guessed the wrong number of Crayola crayons mm. at the thousand dollar level of a number between two and one hundred fifteen. Uh, that clue was in nineteen fifty eight. Crayola introduced its box of this many crayons, the first with sharpener included. And I thought, well, you know, they put that that upper bound at one hundred fifteen. Maybe this is the ninety six box, um, but it was not. It was the sixty four. Sixty four. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a lot of crayons. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of crayons. It is. It's a, a lot, lot of, of crayons. Yeah. I just like that we mentioned Ethelred the Unready in mm. A Reign of Error, the thousand dollar yes. level. Part of what made him unready to be England's king was massacring Danish settlers in 1002, which spurred more invasions. That's yeah. Ethelred the Unready. Yeah. Matea rang in with like medium confidence she was like i think it must be ethelred the unready or something like that mm-hmm. like i'm enjoying her um sort of uh side comments yes uh, <laughs> i am too there are of course people who aren't and the sad thing about uh, twitter is that anybody gets to make comments uh-huh whether yeah whether they really should or not mm-hmm yep they sure do i have not poked around on twitter to see what horrible things people are saying about jeopardy contestants recently but it's it it is it is perpetual i'm sure there will be horrible comments about the day's jeopardy contestants there for me when i decide to look again and see if people are still doing that Um, always find it yeah daily double number one is in the a number between two and 115 category at the 800 dollar level and adam finds it at the ninth pick he has 400 at this point to Matea's 600 and Rachel's 200. Uh, he can wager up to 1,000, but he just wagers 400. If that sounds familiar, yes, it does. Um, <laughs> because it is. <laughs> yes. Uh, because the same thing happened on Monday, uh, except it was Michael. <laughs> he gets the clue February 6th. 2022 began Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee, marking this many years on the throne. And he gets that correct with 70. 70 years. Elizabeth became queen in 1952. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matea's in the lead with 7,200. Rachel's at 4,000. Adam's at 2,000. And we have the double Jeopardy categories around the USA. Oh, me of little faith. Catch the musical... 
TV act. Uh, you have to name the series on which each act appeared. Bat quiz. What the letter says. And sincerely yours. Emily, I'm really sorry that you're not doing the deep dive this week. Because I would talk about Dingo's Ate My Baby. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yes. The triple stumper at the $1,600 level of musical Uh, TV act. I was so sad to see that one go on by. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you right now, I'm not talking about that. Because I feel like trying to tell you about Buffy the Vampire Slayer would not go well. Yeah. It would be more a lot of me asking you to just basically do the deep dive. I'd be like, well, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. But yeah. yeah. Sadly, that was missed. Yeah, that was a bummer. But they did do pretty well on... The upper um, level ones. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the 400 through 1200 mm-hmm. they got. And then the 1600 and 2000 were triple stumpers. The 2000 being the rapper Clark County, uh, which is from Atlanta. But uh, they identified that Scrantonicity is from The Office, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem from The Muppet Show, and Jesse and the Rippers, led by Uncle Jesse Katsopoulos from Full House. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed this this dig at the uh, $1,200 level of Oh Me of Little Faith. Uh, the clue is this Derek Star tweeted, atheists were fighting again, quote, over who doesn't believe in any god the most. Wait, that never happens. Uh, Matea got it, because that's Ricky Gervais, uh, and Ken made a comment of, yeah, I guess he's an atheist. I had no idea. <laughs> if you know anything about Ricky Gervais, you know that he is a rather outspoken outspoken atheist. I actually did not know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's, but, he's yeah. extremely outspoken about it. Yeah. Which, I mean, he's outspoken about everything he thinks. Mm-hmm. Just real quick, I wanted. I realized I wanted to talk about this. Um, it has nothing to do with any of the clues this week, but um, that reminded me, uh, speaking of people being very outspoken about um, with with pretty terrible opinions. Uh, last week, we talked about Glengarry Glenn Ross. Uh, and like the day after we finished, we did the recording and I you know, got it posted, uh, David Mamet came out with some uh, pretty, pretty awful... Uh, Opinions. Uh-oh. Did you not see that? I didn't. No, yeah. So he went on Fox News and uh, made a made a statement oh, that... What was it? That uh, teachers, especially men, because men are naturally predators, uh, are... Uh, what's the term he used? I don't remember the exact word, but basically, we, we are well-primed to be pedophiles. Ugh. Yeah, because of course, because of course, that's that's what that's what teachers need right now. Ugh. Is, uh, is that attitude out there? So I just wanted to throw that out there. We talked about, you know, how Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is not a, an aspirational thing, and yet maybe he thought it was. He might have. He might have meant mi- it that he way. He might have. Is, he might have. Is what yeah. we're getting at, and I want to. I want to clearly uh-huh. anti-endorse David Mamet. Yep. Just. Just strongly and yeah. clearly. Yeah. Ew. Ugh. I am just catching up on this now. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. All right. Yes. Anti-endorse. Anyway, we can get back on track. Daily Devil number two is in the Around the USA category. It's pick number three in the round. It's the $2,000 level. Um, Adam finds it. 
He is at 1,600. Matea is at 7,200. And Rachel is at 4,000. He wagers the maximum 2,000. He gets the clue southwest of Tallahassee. This community, they show a map, on the, uh, got the same name as a Central American capital in 1909 when its people were excited about possible trade. And he knew it right away with what is Panama City. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is at the $800 level of what the letter says. Uh, and Adam finds this one at the 26th pick. He has 6,000 to Matea's 19,200 and Rachel's 6,400. He wagers 5,000 and gets the clue. In 1855, she wrote a friend in England apologizing for not writing sooner, but the Crimean War wounded were keeping her busy. And he gets that one correct with Florence Nightingale. And uh, so with that and then the remaining clues on the board... We get to Final Jeopardy, where Matea is at 20400 Rachel's at 8000 and Adam got the last $400 clue to get to 10200 which is exactly half of Matea's score. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Yeah, we get the Final Jeopardy category history and the clue intimately familiar with World War I. Churchill considered this war from some 150 years before the, quote, First World War. And we had some un- like some some unfortunate answers here. Rachel, put what is the French and Indian War, which is not accurate enough, or I guess it's general enough. It's just not quite correct. Maybe it's it's too specific, kind of. Uh, mm. But she wagered nothing. She so she stays at zero. Adam also wrote what is the French and Indian War, and he bet everything, which Ken said you had to do it. Like <laughs> Ken was making clear yeah. that that's the strategy. Uh, so he drops to zero and Matea got it correct with what is the seven years war. Uh, mm-hmm. and she wagered $1, which Ken said, you bet for the win. I like it. <laughs> He's like mm-hmm. affirming all of the betting strategy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the seven years war was between the French empire and the English empire or British empire. The French and Indian war was in North America, but there was also fighting in Europe. There was also fighting in maybe North Africa and other, I think over in Asia too, I think there were, there were some conflicts. So the various colonies were, were fighting each other. Mm -hmm. So Mateo wins her seventh game. And uh, yet another person passes me up on the, on the board. Yeah. It's okay. I like Mateo and I'm happy for her. Mm hmm. Yeah, she's doing a great job. So on Thursday, April 14th, we have the contestants Joe Grodal, a nonprofit and events director from Medina, Minnesota, Kristen Rookie, a high school English teacher from Astoria, New York, and Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose seven day cash winnings at this point total $168,401. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, art, comma, of war, on its fast food menu, biblical translations, music from the neck up, words from mythology, and whatever, that with a space. So these all connected to the word ever somehow. Mm-hmm. The $200 clue had to be there. They probably made this category just so they could talk about it. 
in 2021, a container ship called the Ever Given got stuck in this canal, causing a six-day maritime traffic jam. Matea got that. Mm-hmm. That's the Suez Canal. Got to remember the Ever Given. Yeah, that was a delightful. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't delightful <laughs> to the people who were having to deal with it, but of the news stories of 2021, that was kind of a, a an enjoyable one to watch from a distance. Right. It was almost lighthearted. Yeah. <laughs> in comparison. Relatively speaking. Yeah. There were some people being like, you guys, this is really going to mess up the supply chain if they don't get it sorted out and we should stop making funny videos about it. But um, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I could. <laughs> but also, what am I supposed to do about it? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. As it turned out, the Ever Given was really the least of our supply chain issues, I think. Well, I mean, it's Yeah. The biblical translations category was um, enjoyable, I thought. Although, like, there are much more interesting and, like, fascinating, like, things about Bible translation that you can talk about, but maybe not at the length of a Jeopardy clue. So, you know. Yeah. It, they, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you can get into the nuance of it, sure. There are some yeah. really, really fascinating things, but mm-hmm. it's got to fit on that screen. Yeah. Uh, we find the Daily Double in that category. Uh, it's at the $800 level. It's pick number 29. Matea finds it really late. Uh, she is at 8200 already. Kristen is at 1400 and Joe is at 1400 as well. She wagers 2000 Gets the clue. Most translations say Lot's wife became one of these, but some use column or statue. And she gets that correct with what is a pillar of salt. Mm-hmm. What is it with deities and yeah. telling women not to look back? Yeah. <laughs> or I guess not women, because Orpheus was the one who wasn't supposed to look back. But yeah. telling people not to look back. Mm-hmm. I get it. I mean, yeah. I do get it. It's supposed to be a test of faith, but whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's also like it's a test of impulse control that right. I feel like I would like <laughs> completely fail. Like, oh, whoops. Yeah, it's like, especially like, you know, with, with the Orpheus story, it's like, I, I guess it, you know, Hades, whatever, didn't, it's not the creator. But like the creator got, it's like, you made yeah. us, if you're, if you're claiming to make us this way, it seems uh-huh. really, really devious, man. Yeah. Agreed. Those stories are tricky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to teach them. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of, depending on who you talk to, a lot of biblical scholars would say um, a story like, like the like the anecdote about Lot's wife probably had a function of explaining why there was a pillar of salt in a particular place or like a, something that seemed to be a pillar of salt. Right. Um, you know, like may may have uh, helped to explain a geographic feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I won't weigh in on whether the event literally happened, but biblical scholars would say. Well, you know, the reason this story gets, you know, got passed down is, you know, is to explain observable things in the world. Mm -hmm. That's not a whole lot of comfort when you're like, okay, but it turned into a pillar of salt. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matea is at 10,200. Kristen is at 1,400. And Joe is at 2,400. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Celebrities firsts. Geographic verse. It's all about her. Economics, great names of science, and number words. I thought it was interesting we had two 
uh, correct responses, which were um, Mitchell's. I had the uh, same thought. Women whose last name was Mitchell and first name started with M. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. uh, At the $1,600 level of It's All About Her, Road to Tara, The Life of This Author. That was Margaret Mitchell, and Matea got that one. And then at the $2,000 level of Great Names of Science, America's first professional female astronomer. In 1847, she discovered a new comet and later became Vassar's first professor of astronomy. That is Maria Mitchell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had that same thought because, like, Mm -hmm. said Mitchell. I was like, oh, whoa. Yeah. You could have said who is Mitchell for two of them. Uh huh. That's yeah. the things I get excited about. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, and that's why we were on Jeopardy. That's right. Because <laughs> we think this is exciting. That's right. We also had two correct responses that had to do with weed. Mm. Uh, in the number oh, words, yeah. the sixteen. 16- I guess we did, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, the sixteen hundred dollar clue in number words. This slang number for a certain crop is thought to date to a San Rafael, California high school in the early nineteen seventies. Kristen said, "What is marijuana?" But they needed the number. Uh, Matea got it with four twenty. Mm-hmm. And uh, then over in the celebrities first category at the sixteen hundred dollar level, this rapper, pitchman, and friend of Martha Stewart said that in twenty twenty, age forty nine, he was finally going to go out and vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's Snoop Dogg. And I feel comfortable saying that both of those <laughs> clues had to do with weed. Yeah, I think that's I think that's uncontroversial. Yeah. The friendship of Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg just tickles me. It, yeah. It's like those videos of unlikely animal friends, you know? Yes. <laughs> You're right. Just heartwarming. Oh my goodness. And, and, yeah. 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 Uh, Daily Double number two is in the number words category at the $1,200 level, and Kristen finds it at the 23rd pick. She has 6,600 to Matea's 16,600 and Joe's 2,400, and she wagers 2,000 and gets the clue. A book title gave us this shorthand for totalitarianism, and she does not say anything in time. They were looking for 1984. I had sort of mixed feelings about this because I I think the shorthand that we most often use from 1984 Mm -hmm. is Big Brother. That's exactly what I thought. Because I was like, oh, Big Brother. Wait, it's numbers. And it's talking about the book title. It must be talking about a different... I mean, occasionally you'll hear people be like, you know, what is 1984, you know, Um, but like. It's not, but it's not a shorthand for totalitarianism. Right. Like, I mean, I I guess, how else would you describe it? I guess, I guess it's okay. But like that, yeah, it threw me off too. Because I was like, I don't, I went to, I I was started thinking it was like Fahrenheit 451. Because I was like, I don't know. Is that it? I I don't know. I wasn't sure. Uh Uh-huh. Daily Double number three is in Great Names of Science at the 27th pick, uh, $1,200 level. Or Matea finds it. She is at 19400 Kristen is at 3000 and Joe is at 2400 She wagers uh, just 2000 and gets the clue. Marie Tharp's discovery of mid-ocean ridges would support continental drift and this theory of continents moving on slabs of rock. And she says, what's plate theory? But that is not enough. They they need tectonics, plate tectonics. 
Um, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Matea's in a lock position again with 19,400. Uh, Kristen's at 3,000. Joe's at 2,400. And we have the final Jeopardy category, Women in British History. And the clue, the orphaned future Queen Elizabeth I was devoted to this stepmother, who died two days before Elizabeth's 15th birthday. Joe has responded, who is Catherine? That is not specific, specific enough. enough. Yeah. Um, he has wagered 2300 um, which drops him down to 100 Uh Kristen wrote, who is Jane Seymour? Got the family right, but that's not the right stepmother. Ken responds. Is that to say that Jane Seymour was at one point Elizabeth I's stepmother? Or... I don't know. Anyway. Um, I mean, yeah, because Elizabeth was Anne Boleyn's daughter. Wait. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thank you. And Anne Boleyn came before. Yes. I, I, I saw six on Broadway literally four days ago. <laughs> three days. Three days ago. Nice. Um, but still, I'm like struggling to get I, I am i'm much clearer on the wives of henry the eighth uh now than i was um a few days ago sure. but uh but still um still sort of nailing some of those pieces down uh yeah so so she got the the family right but jane seymour is not the correct stepmother she wagered 750 uh which drops her down to 2250 and Matea also responded, who is Jane Seymour? And she's wagered 5,000. That brings her down to 14,400, um, but still gives her the win since she was in a lock position, made a pretty small weight, you know, a small enough wager. So the clue here is that if Queen Elizabeth I is an orphan, that means that both of her parents are dead. And so you would need to remember which was the sixth and final wife of Henry VIII. So Catherine Parr is the one they were looking for here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are three Catherines, so got to be more specific than just Catherine. Yep, that's right. Six was awesome, by the way. Cool. Yeah. Um, it is a relatively short Broadway show, so um, that sort of took me by surprise. No no intermission, 90 minutes. Like, we walked out of, the, like, it started a little late, and we left the theater at 8.40 p.m. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. But the vocal performances were incredible. The costuming was great. I thought the script was a little kind of heavy-handed and di didactic in some places, mm. but, you know, whatever. So this has been... Uh, 15 second Broadway reviews with Emily. <laughs> but anyway, Mateo wins her eighth game. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so that gives her her eighth win. And on Friday, we have the contestants Alan Joseph, a fellow in pediatric critical care medicine from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Katie Teller, a dietitian from Seattle, Washington, and Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose eight-day cash winnings are now $182,801. 
And we have the Jeopardy round categories in the Zoom room. 19th Century America, Handle with Air, A Country of Laws, Your TV Host with the Most, and Homophonic Pairs. I thought A Country of Laws was an interesting category. Uh, It was about uh, notable laws from non-U.S. countries. I've encountered, especially like in kids trivia, kind of uh, weird laws, kinds of things where it's like zany things like, oh, you can't whistle while walking backwards. And, you know, like, mm. you know, this one has a law that you need to wear clean underwear, like whatever, um, you know, and like this was not that, but it was, you know, interesting and notable legal things. Um, in the 1990s, Germany modified the Reinheitsgebot. A law date. I don't know if I said that right. No, that's I just try. Yeah. I just I just try and sound really German. Um, a law dating to 1516 that said this could be made only of barley, hops, and water. Um, Matea got that one. It was beer. Um, we had one about Vietnam granting female workers up to six months of this at a hundred percent salary. That's maternity leave. The U.S. is really an outlier. You could take some notes on that. <laughs> Yeah. From re- really any country, really mm-hmm. any of them, pretty much. You can pretty much take your pick. Yeah. And you will find a more favorable maternity leave policy. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Our, uh, the first one that we saw in homophonic pairs, um, Matea, I think, remembered that it was a wordplay category, but uh, treated it like a rhyme time. Uh, it was the $600 level to give up grain kernels. She tried what is scorn corn, but that's, they needed an, they needed uh, exact homophones. So seed mm-hmm. seed mm-hmm. was the, uh, was the one they were looking for here. Coming up with scorn corn is pretty it good. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Just not correct. Yeah. You can see like Ken like respected the attempt, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, we had an unfortunate triple stumper, in my opinion, uh, <laughs> at the $1,000 level of in the Zoom room. Yeah, I was going to yeah. talk about that one. Yeah, a Bible study group will have a lively discussion of this book that says, I am Alpha and Omega twice in its first chapter. Alan tried what is John. Katie tried what is Genesis. Matea didn't want to touch it. That's the book of Revelation. Yes. Um, and I could see where both of them were coming from in that John is the gospel that has the famous i am statements of jesus Mm -hmm. um so i am alpha and omega i could see you if you happen to know that john is the one with the i am statements you might think that that is what they were getting at genesis is about beginning you know like in the beginning right uh so i could see if you didn't know making the connection to alpha and omega um but sort of the other side of that. The, the opposite end. If yeah. You uh-huh. Yep. Daily Double number one is in the 19th century America category at the $800 level. And Alan finds it as the 29th pick, second to last in the round. Uh, he has 2800 to Mateo's 4600 and Katie's 3000 He wagers 2000 of it and gets the clue. 
On May 30th, 1854, President Pierce signed into law what was officially called an act to organize the territories of these two places. And he gets that one correct with Kansas and Nebraska. Um, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, he is in the lead with 4,800. Matea is trailing, but just by a little bit with 4,600. Katie's at 3,000. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, saintly spots, trios, scientific Canadian, these songs really move, female literary characters, and five-letter wordles, all actual answers from the game Wordle. Which is, uh, I don't know, very, very like uh, finger on the pulse for Jeopardy. Yeah. It is a bit redundant, if you know the game, to say five-letter wordles. Right. Because that's kind of the whole thing. You're, pick- you're figuring out the five-letter word. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure all the listeners know that by now. Yeah. I wonder when they taped this. It would have been probably like close to the height of the of the Wordle craze, right? Like mm-hmm. people are still playing. Yeah, end of January, early February. I have I think made this book recommendation before, um, but the $2,000 level of female literary characters, this enchantress from the Odyssey is the sympathetic heroine of a 2018 novel by Madeline Miller. Uh, that is Circe. And that's a great novel if you're looking for an interesting read. You have mentioned that before. Yeah. Still haven't read it. I mean, that's the thing with book recommendations, right? Like, they're just going to come at you faster than you can keep up with. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, it, it is frustrating to me sometimes when um, somebody in my life will recommend a book and I'll be like, oh, yeah, sounds good. And then like a month later, they're like, so have you read that book I recommended? I'm like, do you have mm-hmm. any idea how <laughs> you, many people... You- recommend books to like how many book recommendations i'm receiving (laughs) yeah um but i guess maybe other people's lives are different and they're not being constantly deluged with really compelling book recommendations you know um sure yeah they're good yeah yeah i I, (laughs) and whenever anyone suggests one i'm like usually like yeah i'd like to read that yeah yeah i mean i welcome the suggestion but the idea that like i will that i'm getting few enough that i can follow up on all of them within you know a matter of weeks to months is um is absurd <laughs> yeah i was hoping saintly spots would have religious geography trivia but but alas. it is in fact just places named named for saints yes indeed that's what it was which hopefully we knew the $1,600 clue from my last deep dive with a population of 109,000. It's four times the size of any other city in Newfoundland. That is St. John's. Mm-hmm. All right. Daily double number two is in that saintly spots category at the $800 level. Uh, it's pick number four. Alan finds it. He's at 5,600. Matea's at 5,800. Katie's at 3,000. He wagers 2,000. He gets a clue. In 1506, Pope Julius II laid its first stone. And he gets correct with what is St. Peter's Basilica. I've been there. Mm-hmm. One of my Jeopardy stories was about there. I remember that. Yes. It is my one interesting story. Well, now huh. I have two because the other one is I was on Jeopardy. I was on Jeopardy. Yeah. <laughs> um. And Daily Double number three is in that scientific Canadian category at the $1,200 level. And Katie finds this one at the 27th pick. Uh, she has 7000 at this point to Matea's 21800 and Alan's 8000 She does the gutsy thing and makes it a true Daily Double, which is a great move. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, she gets the clue. James Gosling developed this four-letter programming language at Sun Microsystems. And she looked so relieved when this came out. I thought that I thought that was relief, right? Like, and and with total confidence, what is what is Java? Um, which that it was cool to see her just know it, right? Um, yes, with a big bet like that. Yeah, uh, especially because like it flipped, and I saw the 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 clue, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but other people know different things than me. Right. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> and frustrating. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Matea is up to 21,800. Katie is at 14,000 and Alan is at 10,000. Very good scores. And we get the Final Jeopardy Category Academy Award winners. And the clue, in 2019, he won his first competitive Oscar, 36 years after a Student Academy Award for a film about a Brooklyn barbershop. Uh, Alan got it correct with who is Spike Lee, and he wagered 5,000. Katie got it incorrect with just who, uh, and she wagered 8,000. And Matea also got it correct with who is Spike Lee, and wagered a cover bet of 6201. So she wins her ninth game and goes over 200,000 in winnings. Mm-hmm. Man, she is doing very well. Yes, she sure having, is. <laughs> having quite a run in a season of long runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's been very impressive watching mm. her go. Yeah, and, and Ken at the beginning of the, the week said something about, you know, like, we've had a stretch of four game winners, and will Matea be able to you know, break the four game curse or whatever. And I remember in season 35, we actually had the longest stretch of nobody winning five games mm-hmm. between Alan Dunn and uh, Stephen Grade. So to have him comment on that, I was like, yeah, I mean, we have had a number of four game winners, but also most of those four game winners are on the tournament of champions list. And also we've had like two, <laughs> record breakers yeah like back to pretty much back to back plus like <laughs> i don't it does not feel the same yeah it's like trying to generate drama that is not actually there right i don't know yeah that's that's kind of how i felt but yeah whatever it's fine it's fine but we are at the end of the week so this is when we remind you that we have a patreon it is patreon.com slash potent potables uh, you can find the opportunity to support us financially there uh, for even just a few bucks a month. And if you do so, you can get access to the Patreon-exclusive content, which, for the most part, is uh, early access to quiz questions and uh, some other things that come up during our deep dives if we want to throw a little extra color in there. Uh, We've got some other exclusive audio from uh, a little while back, but... Uh, that's where you can find it. It is patreon.com slash potent potables. And of course, uh, there are more important things than a podcast about Jeopardy. So if you feel so inclined, but you're not sure where to look, uh, we encourage you to check out blacklivesmatter.com, communityjusticeexchange.org, the Stop AAPI Hate GoFundMe, and rescue.org. Mm-hmm. Our- 
just a, a handful of organizations that are doing good. Yeah, really important stuff. Yep. All right, Emily. Give us a nice introduction to what I'm going to talk about. Um, I don't. I'm a little bit stumped here. I have I've been looking through the triple stumpers, and it's I don't know. Are, what about Catherine Parr? Yeah. 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 Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Cool. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it is a triple stumper in Final Jeopardy, which does yeah. kind of draw our attention. Uh huh. So that was, you know, from the Thursday game, uh, we talked about the clue. The orphaned future Queen Elizabeth I was devoted to this stepmother who died two days before Elizabeth's 15th birthday. That's Catherine Parr. That was a triple stumper. And uh, I did not remember that because I have never taken the time to really learn the wives of Henry VIII. Mm. I could recognize any of those names where they said to me, but I couldn't tell you much about them or the order they were in. Uh, so I decided, if only for me, because probably everyone else knows this, but if only for me, I'm going to do a talk on the wives of Henry VIII. Cool. I'm very excited. Okay. Ch- again, chances are you know more than I do about this. Because uh, I just, I don't know why this is such a blind spot for me. I just, just I mean, never, never learned it. Most of what I know, I learned a few days ago at at the That's Broadway six. musical six. So like, just, just to gauge, just okay. cal- to calibrate where I am. Like that's, that's where. Okay. Well, whatever. I mean, mine is based <laughs> on, I, I don't even know. I don't know what it's based on. Like, like tangential historical fiction. Anyway, here we go. Uh, so it is commonly considered that Henry VIII of England, Henry VIII house of Tudor, uh, had six wives. Uh, there were six queen consorts wedded to Henry between 1509 and his death in 1547. In legal terms, he only had three wives because three of his marriages were annulled by the Church of England. Although if you don't accept the Church of England, then it doesn't quite matter. Uh, annulments declare that a true marriage never took place, unlike a divorce in which a married couple and their union. So uh, the annulments are important rather than uh, divorces. And of course, um, along with his wives, Henry took several mistresses because he was king and that's what kings did. Mm-hmm. The order of them, the six of them, in chronological order were Catherine of Aragon from uh, 11th of June, 1509 to 23rd of May, 1533. So 23 years, almost 24 years. Very long time. Uh, His second wife was Anne Boleyn. They were married for two years, 11 months and 19 days, uh, from 28th of May, 1533, to 17th of May, 1536. Uh, His third wife was Jane Seymour. They were married the 30th of May, 1536, uh, until 24th of October, 1537, so one year, four months, 24 days. Uh, His fourth wife was Anne of Cleves. Uh, They were married on the 6th of January, 1540, so there was a bit of a gap between Jane Seymour and and Anne of Cleves, uh, and their marriage was annulled just six months and three days later, 9th of July, 1540. Catherine Howard was number five, married 28th of July, 1540, and uh, beheaded on the 13th of February, 
1542, so one and a half years. And then Catherine Parr was his last wife, married 12th of July, 1543, uh, and then Henry's death in January of 1547. So those are the the six wives. Uh, There are some mnemonics that you can use to remember who they are, or at least how they died, because I remember how they died, like... I remember the divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived mm-hmm. mnemonic, but I didn't remember which one was though, like which, right. <laughs> like which name went with each. So right, I knew like if that you know order. them in order, and then you're like, but what happened to Anne Boleyn? Who right. can know? <laughs> which one? Yeah, like was she one of the divorced? Was she one of the beheaded? Mm-hmm. Turns out she was one of the beheaded. Although technically, that is not really an accurate one because they weren't divorced. They were annulled. So it should be annulled, annulled, died, annulled, beheaded, survived. Uh, because he had his marriage to Anne Boleyn annulled two days before she was executed. Ah. So she was not technically his wife when she was executed. But that's that's really splitting hairs. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so there we go. Uh, there are a couple of rhymes, like, King Henry VIII, to six wives was he wedded. One died, one survived, two divorced, two beheaded. Boleyn and Howard lost their heads. Anne of Cleves, he would not bed. Jane Seymour gave him a son, but died before the week was done. Aragon, he did divorce, which just left Catherine Parr, of course. Which okay. is a bit lengthy for me to have to memorize, but at least it has all of the information there. Just not in... Yeah. Chronological order. Like, like, so any of these are kind of incomplete in the way that you still need to know something about it, but it mm-hmm. helps to remember. So both Catherine Parr and Anne of Cleves survived Henry VIII. And actually, Anne of Cleves lived later than Catherine Parr. It just happened that Catherine Parr was his last wife. All right. So here is a little bit more about them. So Catherine of Aragon uh, was Henry's first wife. Usually we spell it with a C, but she signed her name with a K, which was an accepted hmm. spelling in England at the time. And in fact, when Henry jousted in her honor at one point during their marriage after having a son, he had a K on his uh, horse for her. Uh, Catherine was originally married to Arthur Tudor, Henry's older brother, but uh, and Arthur was the presumptive heir to the throne, but he died in 1502, and a papal dispensation was obtained to enable her to marry Henry. Um, but that Marriage didn't actually occur until 1509 when he came to the throne. She became pregnant a number of times. In 1510, uh, they had a stillborn girl. Uh, She became pregnant again in 1511 and gave birth to Henry, Duke of Cornwall, who died two months later. Uh, There was a stillborn boy in 1513 and another boy who died within hours in 1515. And then finally, she had a healthy daughter, Mary, in 1516. And then she conceived again a couple of years later, but it uh, also resulted in a a girl who died very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. It's said that Henry truly loved Catherine of Aragon, but uh, he became concerned that he did not have a son to continue the Tudor dynasty. So during their marriage, he had several mistresses, including Mary Boleyn, who was the older sister of Anne Boleyn. Later on, after, you know, after some time with Mary, he turned his attention to Anne and appointed her as lady-in-waiting to uh, Catherine. However, Anne refused to become his mistress. Uh, she she re- re- rebuked his advances while she was a lady-in-waiting. As it became clear that Catherine 
in her mid-40s would not bear any more children. Henry became increasingly desperate for a legitimate son, and he planned to marry Anne Boleyn. So this is when he uh, petitioned the Pope to get approval for an annulment on the grounds that Catherine had been his had first been his brother's wife, um, citing something from the Old Testament about it, about mm. taking a brother's wife or something. The Pope refused to annul the marriage, and bada bing, bada boom, we get the Church of England. That's not what this deep dive is about, so I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he declared their marriage annulled and sent her away uh, shortly after marrying Anne Boleyn. She did not see Henry or their daughter Mary uh, again in her lifetime. So that's Catherine of Aragon. And of course, uh, she was the uh, daughter of Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain, uh, which was meant to provide a a strong connection between England and uh, the Spanish royal house. Mm -hmm. So second, we get Anne Boleyn, Henry's second wife and the mother of Elizabeth I. She was the daughter of Sir Thomas Boleyn and Lady Elizabeth Boleyn. Uh, Thomas Boleyn was the first Earl of Ormond and first Viscount Rochford. She was of nobler birth than Jane Seymour, Henry's later wife. And many people, many many records talk of her beauty and lively manners. And she was a lady-in-waiting to Queen Claude of France as well. Uh, she initially resisted the king's attempts of letters to seduce her and refused to become his mistress as her sister Mary Boleyn had been. Um, and as such, Henry kind of became obsessed with her. It's predictable. <laughs> right? Can't have what he wants, so mm-hmm. gotta have what he wants. Henry dismissed Thomas Wolsey, Wolsey, the English statesman and Catholic bishop from public office, uh, and later had the Boleyn's family chaplain, Thomas Cranmer, appointed Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, and in 1533, Henry and Anne had a secret wedding service. She soon became pregnant, and there was a second public wedding service on the 25th of January, 1533. It wasn't until the 23rd of May of that same year that Cranmer declared the marriage of Henry and Catherine null and void. And he later, de- and five days later, declared the marriage of Henry and Anne to be good and valid. After this, the Pope launched sentences of excommunication against the king and the archbishop. And this was really the point at which the Church of England was forced to break with Rome. Anne was crowned Queen Consort of England on the 1st of June, 1533, and she gave birth to Henry's second daughter, Elizabeth, on the 7th of September. She also failed to produce a male heir, which is an interesting way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> It was all on her, uh, her only the only son uh, being stillborn. Henry grew tired of Anne and waiting for a son that she could not produce in apparently his attitude. Um, and he had their marriage annulled. And he looked for another mistress while Thomas Cromwell uh, came up with a, a plot to execute her. Uh, despite unconvincing evidence, she was found guilty of engaging in relations with her brother, George Boleyn, and was beheaded on the 19th of May, 1536, for adultery, incest, and high treason. Mm-hmm. After the coronation of her daughter, Elizabeth I, Anne was venerated as a martyr and heroine of the English Reformation. And, as I'm sure we have seen, she has inspired over the centuries a number of artistic and cultural uh, works. Mm-hmm. Wife number three was Jane Seymour. She served Catherine of Aragon as maid of honor and was one of Anne Boleyn's lady-in-waiting. Jane was the daughter of Sir John Seymour, who was a knight, and Marjorie Wentworth. 
Uh, her birth date was not recorded. She was of lower birth than most of Henry's wives, only being able to read and write a little, but was much better at needlework and household management, which were considered much more necessary for the time. I mean, sure. They married on 20th of May, 1536, at the Palace of Whitehall, the day after Anne Boleyn's execution. Almost a year and a half after their marriage, Jane gave birth to a male heir, Edward, but she died 12 days later from postpartum complications. Mm -hmm. uh, Jane was the only wife to receive a proper queen's burial, and when Henry died, he chose to be buried next to her in St. George's Chapel in Windsor Castle, naming her the true wife of King Henry. And that's Jane Seymour. Anne of Cleves was number four. She was a German princess. Uh, Cleves is a principality in what is now Germany. Uh, she was his, the fourth wife, queen consort of England, uh, although not crowned. She was wife for just six months in 1540 from January to July. Henry may have referred to her as a Flanders mare, and that label stuck with her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the whole, like, the story with Anne of Cleves is just, like, oh, gross, man. Like, we know you're, we know Henry was, like, a bad, like, a gross dude anyway, but yeah. come on. Anne of Cleves' portrait was painted by Hans Holbein and sent to King Henry to evaluate to be his future wife. He fell in love with her portrait and wanted her sent to him. However, when she arrived, he was not impressed. He complained that she did not look like her portrait, which, I mean, what has changed? Am I right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Her pre-contract of marriage with Francis I, uh, Duke of Lorraine, was cited as grounds of annulment. She had previously been promised to future King Francis of France, but that that like fell apart and negotiations began shortly after to marry her to, to Henry. And so basically because he didn't like the way she looked, he, uh, he used that as grounds for annulment. And did not resist the annulment, claiming the marriage had not been consummated and was rewarded with a generous settlement, including uh, Hever Castle, the former home of the Boleyns. <laughs> she was given the name the king's sister and was a lifelong friend to him and his children. She outlived the king and all his wives, dying at Chelsea Old Manor in 1557, and the most likely cause of her death was cancer, and she was buried hmm. in Westminster Abbey. I mean, he was, uh, he was really like mean about it. About being like, uh, she's ugly and I don't want to sleep with her. And so she doesn't, she can't be my wife. But I guess all things considered, it actually turned out okay for her. <laughs> mm -hmm. Number five was Catherine Howard from 1540 to 1542. She was the daughter of Lord Edmund Howard and Joyce Culpepper. And she was cousin to Anne Boleyn. Second cousin to Jane Seymour. And a niece to Thomas Howard. <laughs> Everyone's related. That's, uh, yeah. That's wow. Family. Her uncle Howard was a prominent politician in Henry's court, and he secured her a place in the household of Anne of Cleves, uh, where Catherine caught the king's interest. Imagine that. Uh, they were married on July 28th, 1540, at Oatlands Palace in Surrey, just 19 days after the annulment of his marriage to Anne. He was 49, and she was probably about 18. On the 1st of November, 1541, Henry was informed of her alleged adultery with Thomas Culpepper, her distant cousin as well as Henry Mannix, who had given her private music lessons while she lived with her step-grandmother, and Francis Dereham, a previous boyfriend from her teenage years. Catherine was stripped of her title as queen in November 1541 and beheaded in February 1542 on the grounds of treason for committing adultery. Hmm. So, sucks. Yeah. And finally, we have number six, Catherine Parr. 
the last wife of Henry VIII from 1543 to 1547. She was the daughter of Sir Thomas Parr of Kendall and his wife Maud Green. Through her father, Catherine was a descendant of John of Gaunt, who is the son of King Edward III. And so through John of Gaunt's daughter, Joan Beaufort, Countess of Westmoreland, she was Henry's third cousin once removed. Catherine showed herself to be the restorer of Henry's court as a family home for his children. She was determined to present the royal household as a close-knit one to demonstrate strength through unity to Henry's opposition. Uh, Perhaps Catherine's most significant achievement was Henry's passing of an act that confirmed both Mary's and Elizabeth's line in succession for the throne. Uh, This is the Third Succession Act uh, in 1543. Uh, Despite the fact that they had both been made illegitimate by divorce or remarriage, such was Henry's trust in Catherine that he chose her to rule as regent while he was attending to the war in France. And in the unlikely event of the loss of his life, she was to serve as regent until nine-year-old Edward came of age. Catherine also has a special place in history as she was the most married queen of England, having had four husbands in all. Henry was Mm -hmm. her third, uh, which apparently didn't bother Henry. Well, because he used that as an excuse for the others, not because there was a real reason. She had been widowed twice before marrying Henry. After Henry's death, she married Thomas Seymour, uncle of Edward VI of England to whom she had formed an attachment before her marriage with Henry. She had one child by Seymour, uh, who was named Mary, and uh, died shortly after childbirth. So there we go. There, those are the six wives, and those are that's pretty quick. Obviously, they were complete people, and you could go into any one of them deeply. But just for me, having gone through it, read their names, looked at their dates, learned about like kind of how they connected to each other and a little bit about who they were and has certainly made it more cemented in my mind, at least. Yeah, definitely. And this was helpful having, um, for me, especially having just uh, watched this, you know, musical that took some creative liberties. It was, uh, it was good to get a better sense of kind of uh, what is actually historical yeah, because there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of fiction about them. Because it is yeah. fascinating. It's a fascinating, like, little pocket of history. Mm-hmm. Especially with how kind of long-reaching the consequences were. Yeah. It's quiz time, Emily. Yes, it is. Now, I'm not going to tell you the theme, but you might be able to figure it out. I'm You're, you're, pr- you're pretty smart, I guess. Okay. So. We've we've got six wives, so I that's I mean that's how I would sort of tackle it if it were me. But all right, we'll see what happens here. Oh man, that would have been really smart. Question one: Catherine of Aragon was the daughter of Ferdinand and Isabella, the Spanish monarchs who unified Spain under Catholicism and initiated the Spanish Inquisition. Her father Ferdinand was king of Aragon before unification, and her mother was queen of what other kingdom? Oh, no. I don't know with any confidence. Um, So it's Spain. I will say Catalonia. It is the other C. It is Castile. Castile. As soon as you said it, I was like, well, of course it is. Yeah, it's Castile. I have that phrase in my head. Like, why can't you produce it in the moment, brain? 
Yes. All right. For which okay. we get the the more formal Castilian Spanish. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, as the, I guess, primary f- dialect of, of Spanish. Yeah. Uh, Ferdinand was king of Aragon as well as Valencia, and he inherited Sicily. And so, like, a bunch of, like, small kingdoms or whatever. And when he married Isabel, he became king of Castile, which was a very, you know, very prominent, very powerful. And from that seat they spread and kind of unified what we know as modern spain throughout Mm -hmm. their reign uh all right well you still have 10 points you got it right off the bat so all right yes that's true okay cool question two as dwight Schrute can tell you or the children of the office what traditional english folk song is about the beheading of anne boleyn its melody was later used for a christmas song whose title is a question I often ask in regards to my daughter's behavior. <laughs> uh, green sleeves. Yes, it is green sleeves. C- good job. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you're laughing about my joke or about the office episode, but I was laughing at your joke. Oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, so the Christmas song is what child is this? And mm-hmm. every time I see the title of that song, I'm like, man, that's a very applicable title for basically anyone's kids. Yep. They're doing something stupid. Like, what child is this? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but the lyrics of Greensleeves is actually, like, I've never heard it sung. They're pretty good. It's, it, I mean, the first two lines are, Alas, my love, you do me wrong to cast me off so discourteously. Uh, mm. So, yeah, it's about, supposedly, uh, about the beheading of Anne Boleyn. Nice job. All right, Thank you're you. at 20 points. And also, there's an episode of The Office where Dwight Schrute is playing it on his recorders. Or on his recorder for... Uh, <laughs> The, the kids just bring your kid to work day mm-hmm. and michael gives them a hard time like, what, are you, what are you doing it's, like, it's green sleeves it's about the beheading of anne boleyn uh all right question three it's a good thing that jane seymour quote unquote died otherwise she never could have pursued her acting career the actress has had a long and illustrious career, including a Golden Globe for her role in 1981's East of Eden, and six seasons as Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. She also played Solitaire, the love interest in which 1973 New Orleans-set James Bond film. The title song by the band Wings was the first Bond song to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Song. Oh no, I don't really know my Bond films. Uh... Um, Do you know your wings hits? I don't. (laughs) Do I seem like someone who knows their wings hits? I don't know. Maybe you're a big Paul McCartney fan. (laughs) All right. Let me see if I can think of a reasonable James Bond film. Guess. Um, All right. The one that is coming to mind is Diamonds Are Forever. So is is that what you're going with, or are you? Okay. Yeah, okay. I don't have any reason to think of some to like think that that one is right or wrong, or that I'll come up with anything better. So I'll go with that. Okay, uh, I think Diamonds Are Forever is earlier. I could. No, I'm not sure. Is that a was that a Roger Moore or a Sean Connery one? I did. I, I thought Again. it was Sean Connery, but I could be wrong. Uh, this is Live and Let Die. Oh, okay. Um, my sister Catherine is probably face palming somewhere as she <laughs> listens to this podcast episode. Uh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Live and Let Die. 
it's a pretty good song. Uh, it's very, like, it's very 1970s, like, Wings. Uh, yeah, it's set in New Orleans. And the song, again, by Paul McCartney and, and Wings, uh, they actually got George Martin, who was the Beatles producer, to come in and produce that song. And he hmm. wrote the uh, orchestrations for the orchestra that's in the background, which is why it kind of has that unique sound. Cool. I could talk about George Martin for a while. He's a pretty cool dude. Anyway. Uh, all right. Question four. Mammals of the order Artiodactyla have what identifying feature? And I have a clue if you would like it. All right. So mammals. You said mammals, right? I did of, say mammals. Of the order Artiodactyla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to need a clue. Uh, even-toed ungulates are members of this order. How do you spell artiodactyla? A-R-T-I-O-D-A-C-T-Y-L-A. And the, the other hint is, is to remember the theme. Yes. Oh. Um... I don't know if I'm taking this in the right direction, but I'm going to say cloven hooves. That It is cloven hooves. I had a real hard time coming up with a way to make a question about cleaves. <laughs> so I went, well, if you change the if you change it to a homophone and then change its tense, you get to cloven. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Very cool. Cool. Yes. Nice job. Thanks. Uh, cloven hooves. Yes. All right, uh, you are at 30 points. And question number five. Ta-Nehisi Coates, Zora Neale Hurston, Chadwick Boseman, and Vice President Kamala Harris are all alumni of what prestigious institution located in Washington, D.C.? Given the theme, it must be Howard University. Given the theme and the fact that they are from Howard University, it must be that. Yes. Because I looked it up, like looked up Howard University because I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Let's ask a question about Howard University. And they like, there are so many big names. Uh-huh. There's just this, an endless list of like, oh, man. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good place. Yeah, Howard's a good place. All right. You are at 40 points. And our final category is sports terminology. Huh. I'll wager all of it, even though I do not like the category. Okay. In golf, a bogey is one over par. A birdie is one under par. An eagle is two under par. What oddly ominous seabird is the term used for the elusive and sometimes impossible three under par? Wait, seabird? Mm-hmm. Huh. Not like it starts with the letter C. That's, that's not okay. Right. Yeah, that's that's what I was trying to. Uh, immediately, I heard C like the letter C, and then I was like, "Wait." Um, so, ominous seabird. Mm-hmm. All right. I am not sure whether this is correct, but the ominous seabird I'm thinking of is an albatross. So I'm going to say that. Nice job. It is an Yay. albatross. 
why it's an albatross i have no idea i i don't i don't know the origin of that term and i have not come across it sometimes it's just referred to as a double eagle but it is also commonly referred to as an albatross which is just weird to me Mm -hmm. but there you go yes nice job you got 80 points yay i got 80 points well done ill-advised all in on a (laughs) sports category no this was this was very fun and uh it was it was fun reviewing the wives of henry the eighth you should you should listen to the the cast recording from six sometime really lock it in plus (laughs) you kyle and also you listeners you know plus you get like you get you get a nice mixture of um reinforcing the history you've just encountered and some some pop culture stuff yeah that's you know that could be could be trivia relevant and um that i found enjoyable in any case um yeah uh anyway thank you for spending your time with us make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts leave a rating or review if you would if you want to check out our patreon it's patreon.com slash potent potables and if you have friends who watch jeopardy let them know about our podcast you can all find us on facebook at potent potables on twitter at potent potables one our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. Mm-hmm. We'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.